there, friends. How's it going? Zig coming in at the top of the interview. Today, I have with me Scott Ligon. Scott is a multi-instrumentalist. He plays uh, in the Flat Five and NRBQ. He's the real deal, man. A real working musician who, who lucked out. And one of the bands he got obsessed with, he ended up being in that band. Usually, you grow up copying and imitating the artists you love, like maybe like ACDC, and you want to be in ACDC. But chances are... You're not going to be an ACDC, which is fine. But with NRBQ and Scott, there was a different story. But we get into that. Before we dive into his story and hear the conversation we had, we're going to listen to um, a flat five tune. This one's called Look at the Birdie. Look at the birdie. Look at the birdie. Give me a smile. Your mom is gone for a while. Now say cheese, pretty please. Look at the birdie, look at the birdie. Welcome to Sears. You really got you some ears. Now say cheese, pretty please. Look at the candy Could you just crack a smile Do you suppose Look at the money Look at the money How's about a honk Your little nose Here comes your mommy Here comes your mommy Now look at your smile Beautiful child, now say Flat Five, Look at the Birdie, Off Another World. I started off with that tune because uh, it reminds me of this Charlie Parker run, and we bring it up later in the conversation, so there's some context for it. All right, friends, um, before we get into it, if you can like, rate, subscribe, review, share the podcast on all the podcast 
platforms comment on the apple one that'd be great um we just got a youtube so if you can subscribe hit that um bell notification it helps me keep doing these to share them with you and uh here we go right into it well i'm just gonna start it off we're doing the zig at the gig podcast i'm hanging out with scott ligan um scott i know we had the the rough start but How's everything going? How's quarantine been treating you as far as being a working musician with all these uh, new uh, things to overcome now? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I'm probably, I'm an exception to the rule, I think. I'm loving it. Yeah? Uh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, you know, obviously it's tough and there are a lot of sacrifices to be made, but, uh, but also I've been a musician, I've been a working musician for so long. And uh, I've just been out there playing, you know, several times a week since I was, I don't, you know, 15 or something like that. Wow. And uh, I'm 50 now. And, uh, you know, I, I never ha- I've never had any significant time off in my whole life. I've yeah. just always been doing this. And um, so, you know, there's been a lot of good aspects to it. You know, it's been nice to be able to slow things down a little bit, to step back to get off the rat wheel a little yeah. bit and uh, just concern yourself with simple things like what are we eating tonight? You know, that's like the big thing, you know, and um, I'm very fortunate because I live here with my wife in Chicago, in Berwyn, actually. Okay. And uh, it's just the two of us. And, uh, you know, we really enjoy one another's company and we play music together and we enjoy a lot of the same you know, taste in music and film and all kinds of stuff. So we've actually really been enjoying ourselves. We've been enjoying the slowdown. Obviously, it's for, you know, a horrible reason. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but you know, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to enjoy myself as much as I can, but that's no different than uh, normal times. So, uh, so I'm doing okay. You know, I was able to play some shows over the summer outside and uh, had a great time doing that and just feel very thankful for every every opportunity that I get to do what I love. That's awesome. It's, it's interesting because like winding back, right, and taking a second to kind of like, because when you're, when you're doing music full time, it's, I got to take this gig because I might not get this offer again. You know what I mean? You, right. There's yeah. like this like manicness to it that just starts to become comforting because you're like oh this is how it goes if i do this gig maybe they'll ask me back but if i don't take it now they won't even ask me so yeah you know i've there's definitely a lot of anxiety in you know uh, keeping your life booked yeah there's a lot of anxiety in that and and i for the most part um you know that has been uh i've been relieved of that this year um you know there was a period there during the summer where you know, they started opening things up and it was, we were able to, you know, start doing some shows, but I was only doing things that I felt that I, that I knew I felt comfortable with. Gotcha. And to be totally honest, that's kind of how I am. Um, just in my career now, anyway, I just, I've been doing this long enough that I'm in a fortunate uh, enough position to be able to choose the things that I want to do. And, um, you know, I, I've learned my lesson that, um, you know, that taking things just for the money often ends up um, not working out, you know, uh, yeah. spiritually. <laughs> Definitely. Well, because when you're up there and you're like, oh, it's, a, it's a four-hour wedding gig and no one's paying attention or whatever, it's paying good, but they can tell, you know, there's a, the, people can tell 
when you're a performer and you're putting out when you're not putting out the whole thing. Because as soon as someone does, as soon as yeah. the drunk guy gets on the mic and does his horrible version of fill in the blank cover that you're backing, <laughs> right? And the whole crowd goes bonkers. And you're like, I've been playing for the last four hours and you haven't clapped once. <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah, I've often said that, you know, many of many of uh, my musician friends and, and myself have have, you know, made our living on people thinking they want live music. <laughs> you know it's what I mean? Them. Yes, this is. Yeah, what I mean. you know, it's like there's been many, many, many times where I've played where I just thought, <laughs> why is there live music right now? This oh, just man. doesn't. I'm in a museum. <laughs> You know, or I mean, I'm at the library. Why? What? I thought we were supposed to be quiet at the library. Well, so anyway, but I've, like I said, I've, I've, I've been very fortunate, especially the last ten years or so. Yeah. You know, to be able to just choose the things that I want to do and 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 to say no. Yeah, saying no is a big thing. And man, those yeah. library gigs are weird. I did a few years ago. I did a whole like a library tour with a jazz quartet, and like, yeah, <laughs> it's a weird vibe. It's kind of bizarre. Cool. It is. It's so weird because like you know, this is the time, the place you're like you said, you're quiet. You don't, you know, yeah, anything. right. But people come there. It's almost like the most punk rock thing to do. It's like yeah, I'm playing right. at the library. <laughs> like, yeah, it's right. The weirdest. Of, I think the weirdest example of that that I ever saw was I saw a guy playing. Uh, I saw a guy playing an acoustic set right yeah. in front of Niagara Falls. Really? <laughs> Is he in the barrel? I just like... thought, this poor son of a bitch. You know, that's the only gig. You know, it's like, he. I got to go do the Falls gig again today. You know? <laughs> that is a weird... Man, you, couldn't gets... hear, you couldn't hear a thing. <laughs> and who wanted so to, gone, you know? Uh, we're not here to... We're not here to hear... Some douchebag, pardon my French. <laughs> You're good, like, but some dude <laughs> trying to trying to take the scape. You know what I mean? You're like no one yeah. can hear that one. That guitar is warped right. after that gig, <laughs> and like, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that's kind of cool, but I would never want to do that gig. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, but uh, but yeah, you know, like I said, I you know, um, it started coming back to the uh, the, the COVID thing, and and. Uh, and being able to sort of just step away from it for a while, you know, I just think that's been invaluable for me, yeah. actually. Um, I, cause I, you know, I missed it, but I also, it also sort of defines the thing, helps define the things that I don't miss. For sure. For you sure. know, I know that a lot talked to, talked about that with a lot of musicians. It's like, you know, definitely brought into focus the things about what we do that we don't miss and that we, and what we do miss as well. So it's a, it's yeah. a good thing. Yeah, man, getting sleep's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, and like, well, that's and it's cool because, like, you're saying you get to spend time with your wife, and if she does, she play too. She does, yeah, okay. she does. Uh, she's a she's a massage therapist and a musician and okay. and um, and an animator. Wow, I, I do yeah, it all. <laughs> yeah, she did the she did the animation for our uh, look at the birdie. Oh, video. okay. Oh, right, side yeah. note before Charlie Parker. With that tune, that melody, that that yeah. sounds like a it sounds like a Parker riff. Yeah, you know, I mean, I guess that subconsciously, my brother, you know, must have sort of lifted it from the Woody Woodpecker theme. Oh, you know what? Yeah, there's that's that in it's right there too. <laughs> you know, and yeah. uh, uh, and, and it's about a bird. Yeah, but I don't think you know, you know. Um, I mean, we all do that on occasion, you know, um, um, but I don't think it was conscious. Okay. I don't think he consciously was aware of that. Cause I, I, but, 
I forget. It's like a thing. He will, it's like a triplet lick over a G minor run or something or a two run. And like, I was working on some Parker things and listening to your guys' stuff. And like, I'm like, whoa, I wonder if Parker is the influence on this thing. But <laughs> I know you, your, your family's fairly musical and your brother, um, I can't remember if he's your older brother or your younger brother, but he, he does a lot of the songwriting. He does. Yeah. He, he's, we've, these, the two albums that the Flat Five have put out have, have both been collections uh, from the Chris Legan songbook. Uh, my brother is 12 years older than me, and uh, uh, he's been writing since he was a teenager and is a, a, a prolific writer, actually. And um, uh, I got a call here, so I might be cutting in and out. Okay. That's uh, no, okay. But... Uh, uh, so yeah, he he's written all the songs, and um, he is a you know he started writing uh, when I was I guess I guess I was ten years old, nine or ten, and okay. and uh, he started writing these odd songs and uh, w- invited me to be involved in the recording of them down in the basement. He had an old Sony two track reel to reel, and. Uh, you know, he was the person that sort of like uh, introduced me to the idea that you could create your own music. Wow. Uh, and um, so, yeah, he's always been, you know, sort of a hero of mine. And uh, but we've had careers that have, you know, gone on separate paths. Uh, he uh, he isn't as much of a performer as I am. I, I, I sort of, you know, uh, uh, lean more towards the performance aspect. Yeah. Of, of playing music uh that's what I, re- I you know i like i like getting in with the group and i like i like to improvise and i like to try to keep things new and uh um and i always feel like uh you know my my main means of expression is uh just just um, um through performance and improvisation and uh chris is 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 pretty strictly a composer Okay. And and um but yeah my but my dad was a piano player. He he played jazz, um piano in Quincy, Illinois in the 50s and early 60s and started uh having kids and I guess came to the realization that that was going to be a tough road to uh raise three children um <laughs> by you know playing jazz at the yeah. Elks Club in Quincy. <laughs> yeah, and so dad. yeah, it's tough. So he ended up working for Sears. And, uh, you know, and he ended up having four kids and I was the youngest of four. And, uh, but it was a very musical family. Everybody in my family was, re- was very musical. I just sort of grew up in a big pile of records. That's amazing. Did, what and, did your dad, uh, do at Sears? My grandma worked at Sears for, was he was in the furniture, furniture department. Okay. And, you know, he ended up, you know, that was in the time when you could, you know, get an entry level position. Yeah, with a company like that, and work your way up, and end up being regional merchandise manager of you know ten different stores in the Midwest or whatever you know. And he raised a, a family of four on you know working at Sears. Yeah, you know my mom didn't work; she was a stay-at-home mom raising four kids. That's it. And uh, but we had a very you know I had a very uh, idyllic uh, upbringing. You know I lived grew up in a small town. No crime, no violence, you know, uh, everybody on my block, we, everyone knew one another, you know, all the kids in the block, just, you just go running out the front door. No one would ask you where you're going or when you're coming back, you know, it was just a very yeah. different kind of an upbringing. Uh, and, um, 
but it was very safe and uh and my my uh parents gave me a lot of uh, gave me a long leash and uh, and definitely encouraged me to follow this music uh, thing that sort of just ended up happening when i was i guess i was in maybe third or fourth grade all of a sudden i could just kind of play a little bit what was it what was the instrument that like that you noticed that on was it guitar was it piano Guitar and piano simultaneously. Okay. I was doing them both at the same time. And uh, just sort of, I just, you know, I was talking to my wife about this the other day, and I was just saying that I think that, that I have some sort of innate uh, pattern recognition okay. ability in music. I could just recognize these patterns. I could hear a chord and just know that that chord sounds familiar to me. I mean, something as simple as a G chord. Yeah. just sounded familiar like this yeah this oh. is in something and i could find it in certain you know oh yeah hard day's night by the beatles is in g and uh you know yeah. i uh so but i had a really odd method you know i had four strings on my guitar all tuned to an open g and that was completely by accident huh. that was not by design yeah, it just sort of wound up happening, and uh, and the next thing I knew that all I had to do was put put one finger across the fretboard all wow. the way up and down yeah. the neck, and I'm like a rhythm guitar player. <laughs> yeah, that's you the know? beauty of the open tuning. Like it kind of yeah. That's interesting that you came from or you started with with your guitar playing that way. It's like yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a it's a like a weird. What's Keith Richards doing? Why does it sound? Why can't I do that thing? Because of the open tuning, that's usually something. You, I mean, you know, you, the standard thing seems to be a mess of some type of guitar, but coming with like a four string guitar, it's almost like a banjo um, with the open tuning, right? Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting because it was not you know it was certainly not a stroke of genius. I mean, it was just ignorance. Yeah. You know, I just I just didn't know any better, but I was recognizing these chords and I was recognizing that and I and and just getting used to the idea of moving your hand up and down the neck yeah. and finding where the sound, you know, where is that where does that C chord come? You know, oh, it's the fifth fret if we're in G. Yeah. So you just sort of making all of those, you know, and you know, and when you're a kid, you know, you're so wide open. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and those patterns just came really naturally to me. And I kind of started doing the same thing on piano. Hmm. Now, piano is a different deal. I mean, cause you know, you can't put a capo on a piano. Yeah. And when you, but, uh, but because I grew up in a family where, you know, uh, three people already played piano. I could kind of look over people's shoulders and get a sense of what's going on. And, you know, the thing, as soon as you can find a C chord, you realize that that shape works all the way up the keyboard, you know? Yeah. Nice. You know, so um, that pattern recognition, I think, was just something that I was very good at. Um, it came really naturally to me. And the um, problem is, is that, <clears throat> you know, I started, I started learning so much music um, through these simple methods that I'd sort of, well, I I don't I didn't really create them, but uh, I sort of stumbled upon them, and uh, so then by the time you know my parents started thinking, well, maybe we should try and get Scott some lessons. I had already learned so much music that it was impossible for me to start over. So I went and I tried to take a, a piano lesson. I think I took two lessons, and it was just my teacher just said, you know what? I don't think I can help him. <laughs> 
because he's already too far along on his own and and it's just it's it's too painful for him to to go back to square one so they just kind of let me go and um so yeah i never had any music lessons but i the thing is is that i was I was so deeply involved in music by the time I was in, you know, sixth or seventh grade. Nothing else mattered. I just didn't think about anything other than that. And when that's all you think about all day long, and that's what you spend most of your time doing, you know, you're just going to get better and better and better at it. And fi- eventually, I finally figured out, yeah, let's, let's, you know, I met some guitar players. <laughs> you know that played played the 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 proper way and you kind of get a little embarrassed and you go ah i should probably learn how to do this the proper way yeah most of what i've learned is just through um playing with other musicians i think like there's like two approaches to it right and like Uh with that piano player or piano teacher you realize that is like you like there's the guy who learns it all on his own like you which is where you're coming from and mm-hmm. you spend so much time trying to figure things out and you get way deeper into the minute things that right. if you just had a book you're like oh that's that next thing but by getting right. so deep into those little things it becomes more important and becomes a more divisive or uh, more important musical device and like <laughs> Like you got the academic guys who go to school and can read mm-hmm. and play off the chart, which is an amazing skill. And uh-huh. I'm not trying to, to denote it at all. But then you got the no. guys who like are like, all right, I listened to this Charlie Parker record so much and got that line down from doing that and figuring out how melodically it works and yes. almost being more of a music chemist in a way and like yeah. figuring out all these things the hard way. And like yeah. those guys seem to be a little more obsessive about the yeah. little things that if someone who can read and does the the more academic way will breeze by and yeah. kind of more expressive down the line with it. Yeah, it's a it's a different kind of a dedication. Yeah. And it's sure. also kind of on you. Definitely. You know, that's the other thing is that, you know, I think I was um, had sort of like a uh, I had a, a problem with authority. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> when I, I was that. growing up also, you know. Yeah. And so I just I liked you know, this thing that I could do where I could go into my room and turn on a record and I would just, I would be so inside that record, man. I'd just be in there for hours. And sometimes, you know, it would take years for me to figure things out. I mean, I started working on things like, uh, you know, I started learning Blue Rondo a la Turk by Dave Brubeck yeah. in, eight, in eighth grade. The weird nine time signature, like... Yeah, and I, you know, but little by little... You know, I over a period of years, I figured out the whole thing. And, um, you know, it's definitely a real sense of accomplishment. And you definitely feel smarter when you're on the other side of it, you know. Yeah. And I still do that. I still do that. You know, I'll sit sit down with a felonious monk record and like, all right, what the hell is this chord that he's playing? <laughs> and I'll just work on it and work on it and work on it until I know I've got it, you know. <laughs> You know, yeah, <laughs> that's sick. so that stuff, yeah. you know, is uh, you know, I still do that at 50, it's a lifelong pursuit, and um, you know, I, I guess uh, you know, I'm not as much of a composer as uh, many of my musician, you know, uh, friends are. Um, I write. I just don't do it that often, and it's and it's completely one hundred percent based on 
inspiration. I'm yeah. not, you know, I can't sit down and just churn out a song. I just can't do it. You know, I have to just be, uh, you know, I have to be aware of it when it's happening. You know, I have to be yeah. inspired and then be disciplined enough to go, all right, I'm going to sit here and finish this. I think that, that with writing, that's a big thing is like, either you got the guys that practice that discipline and like aren't inspired. Right. And they make that inspiration by being disciplined or like how you're, how you're doing Mm -hmm. it. You get that glimpse of inspirato and drive it out and like, make sure you dedicate that time to it. Right. Um, Yeah. That monk record, um, that live one with Terry Adams, you guys did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ripping man. Oh, thank you. Well, that was just, you know, I tell you what, that was, uh, that was an unbelievable challenge because, uh, you know, we, you know, you know, Terry lives out East. He lives in Massachusetts and I live in Chicago. Yeah. And so the band was spread out. And, uh, so, and Terry, you know, had these ideas for these arrangements of these songs, but in many cases, I'm, I was learning these songs. I was hearing a lot of these songs for the first time. Yeah. So when we were, when we, when we were learning that stuff, I mean, I was starting from literally from nothing, from zero. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but he was a great resource cause I could call him on the phone and say, Hey, what the hell is, what is this chord? And he would know it immediately, you know? And, um, so, uh, it was, you know, it was that, that performance is capturing, you know, um, a level of like anxiety and fear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, the band is, I mean, we're doing this and we only did it once, you know, I mean, we did this performance, you know, we came out, we, you know, we went out there, we did two rehearsals. We were all working, you know, separately in our different, you know, wherever we live, you know, in different cities and states. And we gather in uh, Massachusetts and we do two rehearsals and then we go play 22 month tunes. Fuck. <laughs> it was insane. It was, yeah. it, it was insane. And not, and, and in most cases, I mean, we, there was some stuff that was already, you know, part of the NRBQ catalog, you know, like yeah. little Rudy Tootie and some of those things. And, um, but man, other, you know, a lot of these songs were just brand new to me. And, uh, so I'm, you know, I'm glad you enjoy it. Uh, uh, you know, I often just think like, man, you know, I, I know this stuff so much better now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like another shot at it. But, uh, but there's something about that. There's something about that, you know, that excitement of like, like, man, are we going to pull this off? <laughs> For sure. I mean, even when you listen to like Giant Steps, um, the piano mm-hmm. player, Coltrane's piano player is playing through those changes for the first time and it's still, still holding right. up. You know, it's the moment. Yeah. And, uh, sure. man, Terry, man, that guy rips. What an uh, yeah. incredible musician. And, yeah. You before joining NBRQ, you did a thing with him, the the rock review, right? The rock review quartet, a rock and roll oh, quartet. Oh, the t- Terry Adams rock and roll quartet. Yeah. Well, when, so when I so you know I was a fan of NRBQ for twenty years before before I ended up meeting Terry. They were like my favorite rock and roll band. Yeah, how'd you hear about them? Just uh, well, you know, actually, my brother Chris introduced them to me when okay. I was eighteen in about 1988 and um yeah he just walked into my bedroom one morning and just put this album on without saying anything i'm (laughs) still in bed still asleep and uh but something just happened i just i related to it instantly and i ended up going to see them about maybe a month or two after that after hearing them for the first time and they just changed my life nrbq really you know it's somehow they put um i just felt I felt focused, like, okay, 
I love this. I love this approach. You know, these guys were, you know, these guys were like really top-notch musicians who just didn't take themselves too terribly seriously. Yeah. I love that combination of, you know, guys that can really, really play, but really have a lot of fun doing it. And, uh, but there's so much more to it. I mean, this is very deep for me, you know? Um, uh, and, uh, so they were, they were like the one band I would go see regularly for about 20 years. Um, and you know, I was, like I said, I've always been playing, so I didn't get a chance to go out to hear a lot of music because I'm always busy playing. And yeah. but I always made sure that I would go see NRBQ whenever they were within a few hundred miles. And uh, but I always just had this strange feeling that made that I was actually supposed to be involved in this somehow. <laughs> and you know, my friends at the time will tell you. I mean, you know, I was just obsessed by this group, and that, that I thought I was supposed to be in the band. And uh, so it's a very strange tale that, you know, yeah, I ended amazing. up actually, actually doing this. And um, but uh, uh, so Terry and I finally did meet and NRBQ actually went on uh, hiatus in 2004. Things went quiet for a while. And Terry had gotten sick, had some cancer that he had to deal with. And um uh, and uh, and no one knew any of this. I mean, it was never you know talked about. But uh, NRBQ just went quiet for the first time in forty years or whatever yeah. it was. I mean, they'd just been on the road constantly since the late sixties. And uh, anyway, I saw that they uh, that uh, in two thousand and six that Terry was uh, uh, was gathering a, a handful of original members of the band and going out, but not as NRBQ and. Uh, they were coming to Fitzgerald's in Berwyn, which is where I live, in, just outside of Chicago. And uh, so my group, the Flat Five, we, we did the opener. We got the opening spot. And uh, I wanted to make sure that I had an opportunity, if I could, to talk to Terry and just thank him for everything that I felt he had done for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, unbeknownst to him, yeah, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, I, I just wanted to th- get an opportunity to thank him. And, uh, we ended up having a real nice conversation and, uh, we hung out a little and played some music on a piano, uh, yeah, at the end does. of the, at the end of the night. Yes, it was. And, uh, anyway, a couple months later, I just got a, um, uh, I got a voicemail saying, Scott, Terry Adams, your leader, I'm calling you. Call me back. And so, you know, I called him back and we we struck up this uh, relationship over the phone. And, you know, he hired me as the guitar player in his band and he had never heard me play the guitar. He'd only heard me play the piano. And, uh, yeah, I know. It's insane. Yeah. The whole thing is just insane. And uh, so, you know, uh, just based on the conversations that we were having, he could tell that I was the kind of musician that, you know, that, that could do this. And um, so and it was funny, though, because, you know, in the, in the months leading up to me finally going out there and, and meeting him and actually playing, you know, he we would always end our phone conversations and he, uh, he would always end the conversation with, you better be good. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Terrified. Yeah. I hope yeah. he thinks I'm good. And, uh, so anyway, that's how, you know, that's how we got together. And, um, so, so when, 
so so we, when we went about the actual task of trying to put a, a band together, um, you know, how do we do this? You know, do we call it NRBQ? Do we, you know, I mean, the, you know, his mm-hmm. instinct was was to just to continue calling it NRBQ, but I think that he felt like in the first couple of first couple of years that we were putting it together, he just felt like it wasn't fair to NRBQ because uh, yeah. he just didn't feel like we were really ready yet. And uh, after a couple of years of being out there and, and, and traveling and playing a lot of music, uh, uh, we were, we were working on what I think was our, what would be our second or third record. And, uh, he decided that he thought it was time to, to, uh, sort of reclaim the name NRBQ. I think it's just, you know, I think, I don't think that he ever intended to do anything other than NRBQ his entire yeah. life. That's just what he, you know, that's his, it's his life's work. And, um, I just think that, uh, uh, it was very important for him to be able to maintain, uh, uh, that name and, uh, and continue on in the same spirit. And, and uh, so the first couple of years that we were out, we were we were going under the Terry Adams Rock and Roll Quartet. Okay, so that was like uh, NRBQ tunes and new tunes that were going to be NRBQ tunes, and like him feeling the new players and the the musicians that he had with him still. Like, yeah, trying time. And yep, it, it makes sense that like was some, like when you have that name for that long and you go under that moniker for. Your entire like what was it like you yeah. said forty years? Yeah, like, it would make sense that why would you even change it? But it's really profound that to take a step away from it and come back into it because like it's like respecting that forty year legacy and like training the next um, crew to be as tip top to do it. Yeah, and it's yeah. I mean, I mean, I think everyone understood the fact that there were going to be some people that were going to be very resistant to this idea. Yeah, fan base. You know, and there, are, there still are, you know, there are still some people. But I think, you know, um, you know, uh, I have zero desire to um, uh, replace anyone. Yeah. I mean, I love every single member member of that band. I mean, I you know, and I honor them, and and um, I. Uh, you know, uh, and really, I never wanted NRBQ to ever break up. You know, I was the biggest, I was like the biggest NRBQ fan that there was. <laughs> and, um, but, I, you know, I, I think that once people kind of got to know us and people got, you know, uh, realized that uh, that our hearts were in this thing. And uh, this certainly wasn't like a money-making, uh, you know, this isn't, a, you know, you know, you know, there we're, yeah. we're not in it for the money. I mean, you know, there never really was any money to begin with. I mean, you know, and I don't mean that as any. I just, you yeah, know, yeah. this is, you know, this is, you know, for me, it's about following my instincts about something, you know, that I've felt for since I was a kid. You know, I mean, I was introduced to this when I was 18 and I was just obsessed, obsessed with this music and and also became uh 
you know, I just had this really strange feeling about Terry Adams. I just felt like I know this guy. I'd never met him. And I just, I felt like I already knew him. And I just knew, I knew we would be friends if we ever had the opportunity to talk. And I was right, you know, and, and, um, you know, sometimes you just have a feeling about people. And, uh, and I've been, you know, I've been very fortunate and very lucky that, uh, you know, all of the best things that have happened to me uh, have happened because I've followed my instincts about people. And, uh, you know, that's how it worked with my wife and with many of my friends and with Terry. And uh, so uh, I think that for the most part, I think that NRBQ's fan base uh, has gotten used to this idea now. Yeah. That it's kind of like, uh, it's almost like the, you know, it's like the Duke Ellington Orchestra or something. You know, members kind of, they come and go. But, uh, but you know, Terry has done a very good job of, of sort of, you know, keeping the ideals of the band intact. And that's what's going to be important as a fan, like, to accept mm-hmm. anyone new stepping in. And just the, the fact, the idea that, there was a guy who was so in to this band and to eventually get that call. That's like mm-hmm. movie stuff. You know what I mean? Or to, to eventually cross paths and then get that call. You know, that's, yeah, that's like unbelievable. Know. And like that story put into it as a fan of any band that be like, Oh, that guy's so lucky. That's cool. You know what I mean? Like yeah, right. that story's too too fantastic and and magical in a way to be frowned upon. And the fa- and aside from you got the chops to do it too. You know, it's not like you're stepping in there and you can't play and it's just like a, a, yeah. a pandering thing. It's not. It's like this guy yeah. loves the work and can do it. And the fact that I worked out like that's amazing. And like with a group like that, it's it's gonna eventually have to become some type of ensemble like esque mindset, like uh, with Duke mm-hmm. or with like even if you look at a career like Miles Davis, like he would mm-hmm. bring new people in all the time, sure. and then they became the guys. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Uh, so that's well, that's incredible that that spot opened up, and like I'm sure the fan base opened up opened up eventually, and you've been with them since. Like when when was it? NRBQ. When did the the, the rock and roll two, quartet stop, and then it was NRBQ. I think again. 2010, okay. I believe. I think I started doing this in 2007. Yeah. And uh, so, so yeah, we'd been out, you know, you know, traveling and, and, and learning this catalog and, and, and writing a lot of new music. We were making records. And uh, we'd been doing it for three years. And, uh, and the album uh, that we were making uh, ended up being... Um, you know, um, uh, based on a, a song from the record called Keep uh, Keep This Love Going. And it just seemed like this was the right time and the right sort of a statement to make yeah. at the same time. Because that's all, I mean, that's what this is about. You know, I mean, this, you know, this is about, uh, you know, for me, it's about my love of, of, of this uh, way of making music, yeah, and um, so yeah, I've been really fortunate, actually. I mean, you know, for the most part, uh, NRBQ's fan base has has, has uh, been very kind to me. Um, you know, there's always a little bit of that, you know, uh, 
Yeah, yeah well, he's he's yeah. not this guy. And yeah. I was like, well, yeah, I'm, I never claimed to be anyone <laughs> other than myself, you know. For sure. Uh, I'm just trying to be myself in this role, you yeah. know, and yeah. um, it's it's not an easy thing to do, I'll tell you. It's not. You know, the very first time we, we played, you know, you know, Terry counts off, you know, rain at the drive-in and you know, and Joey's voice does not come out of my mouth. Yeah. It's my voice. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of, it's trying to sort of, you know, honor the, the people that came before you, but also try to, uh, trying to distinguish, uh, yourself in that context. Definitely. Which is a hard, it's a hard spot to be in because in, in this case, you idolize the people that came before and like, now you're putting yourself like it's weird. It's like through your uh, imitation leads to like self-expression, right? And mm-hmm. like when you grow up and you follow these records and you learn how to mm-hmm. do it, but you do it your own way, you right. never think that you're going to be on the record doing that. <laughs> like right, that's a whole exactly. other mindset, and like yeah. to be in that spot and to be able to do it, it's got to be a weird, weird for the people there, and weird to be the guy doing it. Yeah, um, it was weird. It was weird at first, you know. Yeah. But uh, it was also exciting and thrilling and terrifying <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and, uh, and it's, you know, I mean, uh, be careful what you ask for, but I, <laughs> but I, but, you know, but I was, you know, I was ready to do this, you know, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I knew, I mean, you know, I'm just, this isn't a brag, but yeah. I, but I already knew all these songs, you know, I mean, you know, I, you know, I spent so much time by myself with those records, all 30 of them or whatever yeah, it was. Their, their catalogs deep. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, so, and I always kind of just had this sense that like, all right, I'm going to be ready in case this ever happens, you know? And the funny <laughs> so thing so, is, is that yeah. I had kind of stopped thinking about it yeah. when it finally did happen. You know, I, I find, you know, I had at some point in my life, I decided like, I need to stop, I need to stop this. This is ridiculous. Why am I thinking about, you know, like I have, you know, I need, I've got plenty of music that I can make. You know, I'm, I'm already in several different bands. I'm a working musician. I'm, you know, and I enjoy what I do. Why am I still worrying about this NRBQ thing? And as soon as I did that, you know, like just a couple of years later, it came to me. That's all. You know, well, it's it's all your opportunity when you have a success is when the opportunity comes and you're prepared for it and right, you put yeah. in that much time and like that's just that's incredible. Is that when is that period when the flat five took place? Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so the flat five came into being. Um, well, I moved to Chicago uh, in 2003 yeah. because of my relationship with Kelly, my musical relationship with Kelly. And, uh, you know, we, we also had this amazing thing happen where, uh, you know, she was supposed to be, she was supposed to perform at, at a show that was going to be hosted by my brother. Oh, is this um, when you guys were doing like the gospel stuff? Uh, yeah, this is just shortly before that. Now, okay. uh, you know, Chris and Chris and his uh, wife, Heather, who's a cartoonist and a filmmaker, yeah. Uh, they, they, they host shows in Chicago and they actually had a record store in the nineties where they would have, uh, it would be multimedia shows. It would be music and oh, film. That's cool. 
Yeah, and sometimes, you know, com- comedic bits. And, yeah. and Chris would always be the host. And Heather would project 16 millimeter film. It would go <laughs> shooting through the air, or get yeah. up, you know, on a, onto a screen. And uh, so they've, you know, been hosting these shows in Chicago. And Kelly Hogan was booked to perform at one of these with her guitarist, Andy Hopkins. And about a week before the show was supposed to take place, Kelly called Chris and uh and uh, to let him know that for for whatever reason Andy could not make this show I don't know it was like an emergency situation hmm. and uh so she was thinking she was going to have to back out and, and and Chris said well actually you know hang on a second uh my brother Scott is actually here this was why he was actually living in Delaware at the time we don't need to get into that but <laughs> I was out there visiting him and we were going to come back to Chicago and put this show on and uh so I said well yeah I'll do it why not and so we started just talking about some songs and it was all brother and family harmony you know it was yeah. like Everly Brothers Leuven Brothers Davis Sisters you know all of that kind of stuff you know um you know George Jones and uh, Melba Montgomery and you know that kind of thing all this you know tight harmony stuff and um so it's either going to work or it isn't and uh and we got together the day before the show at kelly's apartment and and sang in the living room and it was just this instant it was just like this amazing thing you know the very first time we sang together it was instant it was obvious like uh uh-oh this is really good you know and uh so uh, so, and that's what actually brought me to Chicago. I just said, this is, this is so good that I think I need to follow this. And I also knew other people in Chicago and I thought, you know, I should, you know, I, you know, I think I should, I was considering moving out East. I was thinking about moving to New York city. I was living in Peoria. That's where I'm from. Oh, okay. And, uh, I'd lived in Chicago once before and I'd moved around a lot and I was sort of in, I was transitioning, trying to figure out what to do. And uh, so I moved to Chicago and started singing with Kelly at the hideout. We were just performing in the front room with no microphones, just acoustic guitar and two voices. And we instantly had crowds that would gather and sit and in total silence and listen to two people singing with no microphones. You know, it was, it was a beautiful thing. And, uh, so, uh, so we were doing that regularly. And, uh, and then, um, before too long, we had a show, uh, together in which Kelly just decided to ask her friend, Nora O'Connor to come and sing with us. And so I met Nora on stage and she just it was like had this amazing ability to just add a third part to anything that's in like harmonies are hard enough right just to get yes. it right and then right. get one where you really gel and the tones tones a knockout like you and Kelly found but to have someone who can just fill in that fill in the gap yeah that's a whole and other it, skill set it was it was an instant you know instant we just had this instant you know trio you know harmony thing and uh, so we just said, well, we, we need to pursue this. And while we were doing that, I had just recently met this guy named Casey McDonough. And we were exploring this whole other side. Uh, we were also developing a harmony thing of our own, and, uh, but also exploring all of this music that we had in common. And we were playing local shows together. And we were developing a musical relationship. And uh, eventually I just thought, man, I need to get Casey in on this thing. And so we were uh, a quartet, and um, and 
so you know so we just started you know uh, exploiting this four part harmony thing as much as possible and um and exploring it you know and uh, trying to figure out cuz none of us had ever really i mean Casey had been in a you know uh, barbershop quartet when he was in high school or something but none of us had ever really done this like okay let's see you know how do we do this and uh so and uh, and uh, when we first started, uh, uh, we we had uh, Gerald Dowd on drums, okay. Who who I first met playing with Robbie Folks, okay. And um, and then uh, and so we started doing this, and it, that band just instantly had it. Just we, it, for some reason, that band had a following from our first gig with just the with just the two of you. You're saying uh, like I, from the first. Gig I mean, as the once we first, yeah, once we first, you know, once we did this, you know, this five piece band, yeah. And I don't even know if we were calling it the Flat Five. Yeah, we might have been, but I think by the first, the first time we actually, you know, had a gig and called it the Flat Five, we had, you know, people were there. You know, they were there to hear it. That's amazing. And uh, that from really never happens. <laughs> well, it's just sort of like the strength of all of our different. You know, it's like yeah, everyone brought their player. own. Yeah, exactly. There were, you know, we all sort of had our own fans, I guess. And um, and then it started to just become a thing in Chicago. Uh, we would do these shows uh, and it kind of ended up being, or we would really only, we could really only do uh, a handful of them a year because um, right around that time is the same time that I met up with Terry. Gotcha. And uh, Kelly started going on the road with Nico Case. Yeah, yeah. And then with Jacob Dylan and you know and you know you name it the Decemberists and and you know and Oro was involved in that the Decemberists and um, so we were kind of all going in separate directions and just getting together once a year and playing shows around the holidays in Chicago and they were extremely successful. There was something about like us like only doing this once or twice a year that made people really want to be there. Yeah. And you do that for a couple of years and it just kept growing. And then so when we decided, uh, when we finally decided that we needed to start doing this, you know, a little more often, because we just enjoyed it so much. And we were just developing this huge repertoire of, of, of songs that, that cover all kinds of genres, you know, going back as far as, you know, like Duke Ellington and Hoagie Carmichael and, you know, all the way through, you know, um, the Beach Boys and um, and up to even things like, you know, XTC. Yeah. And, and George uh, Jones. There's some like and George Jones. Like... And yeah, you know, we were very capable of, of, of you know, just uh, genre hopping. Yeah, which is as, as a musician... As far as like, not that in this case you would need to be like fitting the mm -hmm. venue because the the crowd's coming to you, but you want right. to be able to you know be like water, like the Bruce Lee quote. You want to be able to fill in any venue that needs live music. You're like jazz, I got it. Country, I got it. But yeah. you guys do such an amazing job of melding all these, especially on the new record, melding all these like different genres and keeping this like vocal harmony tightness, and it's kind mm -hmm. of at the forefront of every song. Which yeah. is super hard to do because, like, as a 
um, I'm a guitar player and a singer myself. Um, mm-hmm. Just the harmony thing is so hard to do, right? To get that mm-hmm. right with somebody is such a tricky thing. Or even to record it, it's and to hear it and to pull it off live like you guys do, and like to yeah. the amount with that many voices, right? A, and like that's so that's it's incredible that just everything came together for this moment like this. And I wanted to say, well, yeah. sorry, mm-hmm. go ahead. No, I was going to say the, the name flat five for a group like uh-huh. that. Such a, uh-huh. like, I, I, at first I'm like, I don't hear any flat fifths in those harmonies, man. Those are too tight and not dissonant uh-huh. enough. But then I was thinking of it as like a music bit and like, that's perfect. Especially with all the <laughs> genres you guys cover. And there's a lot of flat fives in that. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, I mean, I will say that as far as the, you know, the band name is always like the worst part of being in a band. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, sure. The, it's like the worst part of it. It's, ah, we got to come up with a name, especially when you're, you know, a working musician who's in, you know, who works in a lot of different bands. Like, oh God, we got to do this again. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as far as like the, you know, um, I mean, all of the things, and I appreciate you, all of the, you know, nice things you said about, you know, about um, the difficulty of, you know, of like, of what we do. But, um, you know, I have to say that, um, uh, although it can be difficult, it's really pretty easy for us. Um, you know, these things that we do, they come, they come very naturally for us. You know, we, we didn't have, it wasn't an intellectual thing at all. It wasn't like, Hey, let's put together a vocal group. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was all per chance, which, it's kind yes. of like your NRBQ experience and like, it's all like this, this absurdities that lead to these amazing things. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, um, we, uh, you know, um, everything is, um, uh, everything is about, um, sort of just exploiting what it is that we already do well. Yeah. And being aware of it. And fine. And, it. um, and we also, you know, we, I mean, we have a band with, you know, four lead singers. Got a point. Someone um, can pull it off. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, but, um, but it's fun because, you know, our, sh- the flat five shows almost work like a variety show. You know, we yeah. just, every song is a different look. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be the bass player is singing lead with, with, uh, you know, three part harmony behind him. And then it will be Kelly singing a solo with no vocal accompaniment at all. Or then it'll be, you know, uh, Scott and Kelly sing a duet. And uh, so it's just really entertaining. You know, uh, there isn't a lot, there aren't a lot of bands that have that much um, versatility um, sort of just at their fingertips. For sure. If anything, like, most bands, especially now with like how music music is marketed, right? It's all this algorithmic mm-hmm. like you like this genre, so you're gonna like this same genre, right? And right. like it's all put that way. And like when you see it on stage, a lot of times it's the same thing. Hopefully, more exciting. But as a musician, as yourself, to be able to have be excited about what's gonna happen next, the audience is gonna be captivated with that as well. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like. Like going back to where you, your strengths are with this improv and this live performing aspect of it, both groups mm-hmm. like the Flat Five and NRBQ are both these groups that have like this inner term, not uh, in a good way, turmoil. Like there's always something going on a stage where someone's taking the runs and like doing something different, right? Style yeah. wise, yeah. 
So as far as like the marketing aspect of uh, how stuff works now, it's got to be a headache for them. But see, being there and being like in this whole like experience and captivated by it and like both bands live because I was going through all the not all the videos, but going through the videos and checking it out mm-hmm. and like getting the vibe for it. It seems fun. Like that's a fun show. Yeah. Both like both those groups are exciting to, to just be in front of because like how you're saying, you don't know what's going to happen. Well, thank you for saying that because because that's really the that is the fundamental thing that is at hand here. You know, um, yeah. it's it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> that that I mean, you know, end of story. Really, to be totally honest, I mean, that's why I got into this in the first place. You know, the first time I ever played music with my friends, it was the most fun I ever had. Was that, and the um... whole and, and the rest of my life has been spent just trying to do that again. <laughs> is that is that in your uh, when you were in the jam? The years Yeah, oh my god, wow. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we didn't know there was a band called The Jam. Yeah. At the time, very popular band. Yeah. But, Super rad band too. But yeah, we were uh you know, a bunch of kids, you know, 11 and 12 and 13 years old and just lear- just learning how to play music. And um, but yeah, I'll never forget it. You know, I, I I'll never forget. I remember the moment we decided that we could have a band. You know, hey, yeah, I play guitar. <laughs> you play guitar. You know, it's like you know, hey, let's do this. You know, it was like yeah. the most exciting thing. It was like the greatest. You know, it was like the best yeah. decision ever. You know, it's like, okay, now I know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. <laughs> well, right? Yeah, you, it's weird. You don't think of it like that in the moment. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you did. But like, you're like, we're doing this. We're conquering the world together as this unit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, a, you know, it's a, it's a blessing to, to have been able to. Were you doing the open you know. tune thing? Sorry, oh, yeah. Know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I was, was doing that. But you know, the thing is. It? Well, here's what happened. Mm. So, um, one of the guitar players hadn't really learned yet. Yeah. But he was going to be a guitar player because all we had to do is put tape on the neck in like of the, the guitar, and all yeah. he had to do is put one finger across the fret, and he's a rhythm guitar player. So wow. that, so we'd use that method for one of the guys in the band. And then one, one of the other guys had actually taken some lessons and knew how to play six string, and he was the lead guitarist. And I moved to bass. I just, I, I yeah. didn't know how to play bass, but I just knew I could do it for some reason. And, yeah, uh, and, I, and I also, at that time, I was, uh, you know, I, I had a really high voice at that time when I was 12. Yeah. And, um, and, and so, and, and I always sang the Paul parts. Oh, so you're doing the Beatles cover. Yeah. That so, you know. Musically, I hear that a lot with both projects. I hear a lot of Beatles influence in what you guys do. The Beatles are definitely the reason that I'm a musician. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Record-wise, or did you see the, was it the TV performances that were like, that's what I got to do. I got to get these guys. I, <laughs> I, you know, I, um, I, there's a recording of me singing Hey Jude into a cassette recorder when I'm two. <laughs> nice. I was two years yeah. old. So, I mean, they've been there forever. Uh, they were, there was never not a Beatles, you know, in my consciousness, uh, you know? So, uh, and then, I, and I remember the moment that I decided I was going to be a musician too. 
Yeah. And it was before I could actually play, but I was looking at the Magical Mystery Tour album. Yeah. And for some reason, it was like, whenever this was, I don't know how old I was, but it was the moment that I realized, oh, Paul plays differently than the other guys. Huh. He's left-handed. Oh, No, he's he's left-handed, right? Gotcha, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, you know, that's cool. That's what I want to (laughs) do. I remember thinking that I want to, I want to, I want to play, and I want to play differently than the other guys. I'm going to play it to this side. You guys do it to that side. Yeah, and for you know, at first I thought, you know, at first I thought I, I would try. I, I actually tried to learn left hand, and it was useless. It was ridiculous. Yeah, well, and that didn't last very long. Yeah, but metaphorically, you know, and when I look back at it, it's like, oh yeah, I, you know, it kind of makes sense. You know, that I, I wanted to. I, you know, I wanted to play music and I kind of wanted to just do it my own way. That would make sense. Well, you're pointing your own direction like Paul was like, Uh and with how you did it, just learning it all, you're locking yourself in the thing and figuring it out and taking years even to do it. Yes. Um, And being incredibly stubborn. Did uh, Have you ever crossed? Well, yeah, stuff like to some degree, there's the the healthy amount of stubbornness that I don't even know if that's the right way to say it, but to we'll get you it. through, to get just to accept that I'm going to do this thing, I'm express myself and make right. this what I do for a living. And if I'm eating Taco Bell and living in this van, that's it, you know. Or yeah, absolutely. I mean, I you know, um, uh, you know, I uh, I was actually playing, um, I was playing gigs. Um, during the week, you know, during the school year, yeah, you know, when I was in high school, I was 16 and I was playing on Tuesdays and Thursday nights and I was just doing it. I was coming home at two in the two or three in the morning. And I, I'll never forget, you know, my mother, who was like, literally, she was like a saint, you know, uh, but I remember her, I remember coming home and None of the lights were on. She's just sitting there on the couch in the dark, smoking mm-hmm. a cigarette. <laughs> and she yeah. and I remember her saying, "I remember saying her saying, Scott, what what am I supposed to do? <sighs> you know, it's like, yeah. you know, I mean, that was, you know, I'll just never forget that moment, you know. And I and I said and I said to her, I said, Mom, this is it." This is how it's going to be. Yeah. This is what I'm doing. There's that healthy amount of stubborn. You know what I mean? Like, not, yeah. And not I made 75 bucks but... that I made 75 bucks that night or what, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but my mom is trying to figure out, well, how am I supposed to deal with it? How, you know, this, you know, I just, you know, and the thing is I quit school. Yeah. Really? I did. They let yeah. me quit school. What, uh, what grade was that? Uh, it was after, it was actually, I, I was there for three years. I, you know, I, I got through my junior year, but I was probably as far as like, you know, credits, I was probably still a freshman. Yeah. Cause I just was terrible. I couldn't, you know, and part of the problem was that I couldn't be a part of the music program because I couldn't read. Gotcha. Can you read? Even though, even though, even though the, the music instructor knew he knew about me and he yeah. knew he'd heard me play blue rondo a la turk that i'd taught to myself nice and he knew that i was you know this deal. kind of but he didn't know but he didn't know what to do with me yeah you well, know he didn't know how to deal with me 
you know, so I couldn't really be a part of the music program. So why was I there? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the fact that my parents gave me that opportunity, you know, that actually put the trust in me to say, okay, let's, you're going to make a go at it. Let's do it. You know? And, um, and, uh, and also to trust in the, in, you know, the, the other part of it is that, you know, cause a lot of people think that, you know, when a kid says he wants to be a musician, they think that he, he means that he wants to be famous. Yeah. And, just, and that was never the case. I yeah. never, I never wanted to be famous. I mean, I'd be fine with it, but you know, but I, that was never, a, all I ever wanted to do was just play good music. And if that's all you care about, is just playing what you deem to be good music, you know, I mean, God, you know, that's a very attainable goal. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's outlets to do it. It becomes more possible yeah. because you're not looking at like, I got to be Paul McCartney level the, to do this. And it's weird because that is what the majority of people perceive it as. Like if you want to be successful in it, you gotta, you gotta do the grandeur um, lifestyle of it. And that's, right. that's not the real deal. Like the, you can really just doing the bar gig in your local area, area. I can talk today yep. area. You can, <laughs> you can make a, a living doing that. Like how you're saying it's 75 bucks in one night. If you compare it to like, um, I don't know what the, like a $5 an hour gig, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or like, or to work yeah. per hour to make that in one night. Yeah. You're going to have to really hustle to make it happen. There's no yeah. doubt about it. You, it, that ruins you for it really early on too. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, that was, you know, $75 in, in 1986 or whatever it was, Yeah. you know, but that ruins you. It's like, there's no job that I can go make $75 by, you know, smoking dope and, night, right? you know, and drinking whiskey underage <laughs> and, and having a great time. <laughs> yeah. Who, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, sure. it's preposterous. And, and I, I think part of, the, your whole with your parents' support of that, which is amazing, is them being musicians yourself, their mm -hmm. themselves. Because your dad was a piano player, and your mother, mm -hmm. she's a singer, right? She is. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, she, she, she. You know, we didn't realize what a great singer she was, and you know, I mean, we didn't really realize it until many, many years later when we discovered this tape that they had. You know, this reel-to-reel -reel tape that you they had made. made. Yeah, my mom's singing a cappella in the kitchen, singing jazz standards by herself. Yeah. Just unbelievably great. That's like, awesome. you can't believe how great she was. And, like, she never she never performed, she, yeah. you know. I don't even think she ever performed with my father. Huh. But here we are. You know, I'm, you know, at the time I'm 40 something when I'm hearing this tape and I'm like, oh, my God, I cannot believe mom is the best singer in our family. And I never knew that. <laughs> That's always. So, yeah. Case, though. Yeah. I mean? mm -hmm. But anyway, go ahead. What were you saying? Uh, oh, um, where I was going to go with it. But uh, so what the, oh, you were talking about my, my parents being right. like. Um, so you got that support and because they it seems like they wanted to do it, too, to some degree. And like when you when you move to that position where you're providing for others, you change your dynamic, right? Yeah. And the, the fact that they saw that in you just, and you know what I mean? They saw you figure out all those tunes by ear. They knew right. the amount of work you were going to put in. So, mm -hmm. and almost just kind of just allowing that to happen is like, it's absurd because that's not the standard story you hear from 
the rock and roll, uh, the, the musician beginning is what it's I was It's the opposite, exactly. isn't it? Yeah. It's like the opposite of what you usually hear. 100% the opposite. Yeah, um, I know. It's, you know, believe me, I'm fully aware of it and, and fully appreciative of, you know, uh, yeah. what a, what a, what a gift that was, you know, um, I think you're right. I think they probably, you know, they, they always, you know, maintained that, you know, that little bit of a spark for, you know, you know, what could have been for them. Uh, but you know, uh, yeah, they definitely, they, you know, they pushed us, you know, they wanted us to, you know, if we wanted to do that, they wanted us to, uh, they wanted to help however they could. I mean, my mom was, you know, you know, you probably heard, you know, my uh, Chris's song, Florida, you yeah. know, that the Flat yeah, Five does. Yeah. Well, well, you know, my mom was the kind of, you know, you should send that to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> you should send that to yeah, them. They'll do that. Just, you, guys <laughs> you know, an anthem for your sake. Florida's going to want this. <laughs> There's definitely the, the parent, you know, <laughs> the parent advice for how the, 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 the entertainment realm works. Right. Isn't that degree, great, though? Yeah, to some degree, they're right. You never know. Yeah. Maybe Florida's like, you know what? We didn't have a song, but now we do. Like, <laughs> Right. But no matter what, it's just where it's coming from. You know, yeah. it's the heart behind it. You know, I mean, it's just a beautiful g- gesture, you know? And um, so that's those are the kind of people that they were. And, and uh, they were very, you know, um, actually, my parents were 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 loved by a lot of my friends because because they were like that with my friends too yeah. you know what i mean they were they were just you know they were they were your biggest fan that's awesome you need you know? that when you're trying to do the thing you need some validation and when it comes especially from an adult and an adult that's yeah. not related to you that right. is even more impactful i can't tell you i mean my you know you know my wife sharon you know uh, you know, she, she, she's so talented in so many different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, but you know, my mom was just always so, you know, <laughs> you know, she was just, you know, just always, you know, she was just so, um, she would never pass up an opportunity to praise Sharon. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and that- and yeah, that's just a, you know, that's a really you know, special thing. And, uh, you know, so they were, they were great people, you know, they're gone now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that sucks. but you know, I mean, they're just, you know, they're a part of everything that, yeah. that, that we do. And, uh, and that's a big part of why this, uh, second, uh, flat five record, uh, exists because my mom passed away in, in 2018 and, uh, in the months following that, it really just felt like, okay, let's do another Let's do another album of Chris Legan songs because uh, it, it just seemed like uh, there's just so much great stuff there. Why not do it? And uh, and the, the whole time we were recording the record, I was thinking about my mom. You know. Yeah, so. I can't that that the process of doing that and in like how you mentioned songs like Florida and stuff. So I imagine they're all songs she approved of to some degree, or uh, or had some type of. Um, connection with that when you well, compiled it or um, curated it yeah well you know uh so uh, chris and i have worked together a lot over the years you know i mean we've made a lot of records together yeah and uh so and and i think that you know um 
you know, I just think, and because because Chris isn't um, a very, he's a prolific writer, but not a very prolific performer, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, and um, he, uh, so, you know, I've kind of, you know, and we've put bands together, you know, we've had a band called Chris Ligon and the Problems, and I kind of end up being the musical director. Man. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of the liaison between Chris and the musicians, like, you know, uh, it takes because, you know, I talk about untrained, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, Chris is really untrained, you know, <laughs> and uh, uh, so, you know, um, so I, he's always had a lot of trust in in, in my sort of uh, uh, care, take uh, caretaking almost of his of his songs. And so we've we had Chris's blessing from the very beginning. He was already a, a big fan of the Flat Five and what we were doing before we started doing his songs. And he was honored by the by the by the notion that we were going to do this. And yeah. so he was completely open to it. And you know, uh, I would just as we were recording tracks, I would send them to to him. You know, and he was just always you know just so full of. Uh, uh, you know, excitement and, uh, and, uh, enjoy over this project. So, uh, but you know, on the last record, we did do some things together where, you know, there were some songs that were kind of almost unfinished that, um, you know, so like for instance, the song over and out, the last song yeah. on the record, uh, existed in a, a different form than, than where it ended up. Uh, pretty dramatically different, actually. I mean, the 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 idea was there, but it wasn't really a complete song yet. It was kind of just a verse. So when he's when he's sending you this stuff, is it literally just lyrics, or is it lyrics and a melody? Oh is no, it... he always records everything himself. He'll gotcha. he'll write and record his okay. songs, and then he'll just pass them on. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it's not. I mean, he he's. I mean, he he's doing. You know, he's writing and recording for himself. Yeah. And if it, and if any of it ends up working out for the flat five, that's great, you know. And that's just a recent, you know, thing for him to even consider. Yeah. Now he's got you this, know this team the idea of like yeah to this uh, amazing piece from from the just the core thing. Right. Uh, so you know that's a new idea, really. But I think there's been a couple things that he, you know, in that context has written for the band. Like I think this would be really good for them. I think. Um, I get the feeling that over and out, or not over and out, um, uh, this will be the day. Yeah. I get the feeling that he might have had the flat five in mind. He never said for 100%, but I get the feeling he had the flat five in mind. You guys got these uh, hunches in your family. I'm sure he did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Chris, hunches. Oh, yeah. He's, you know, he's like, um, actually, I just this morning, I was listening to this album, um, this music by uh, Nino Rota. Okay. Um, and, oh, yeah. uh, for a Fellini film called Juliet of the Spirits, which is a, uh, soundtrack album from yeah. 1965 that, that Chris gave me about six years ago. Damn. So, and cracking the pile. <laughs> and well, actually I'm listening to it for about the 300th time. Oh, okay. So it wasn't the pile. So was, I am just, you know, table. so he's just always had this ability to just, you know, to, you know, give me, you know, a piece of music at just the right time. Plenty and he knows, and I, you know, mm. and that it just like, you know, and I'm, I've been obsessed with this music. 
since that day. Yeah. And uh, so we do have this kind of, you know, this, uh, you know, he's still my older brother. Yeah. And man, when someone invites you to do thing, like when he invited you to write the songs from the rip or play the songs from the rip, especially mm-hmm. coming from that, that figure you, you admire, even if it's not like, you know why that you admire them, but even if there's that lingering, lingering, that feeling that I'm into whatever they're into. And it's so much more mm-hmm. impactful when you're invited or when it's dawned upon you or shared with you. Yeah. It resonates so much deeper, which clearly, clearly yes. he's good at doing that with you. But yes. I'm, and you know, and Terry's the same way, you know, yeah. Terry's, you know, he, he does it all the time. I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a very, I'm lucky, you know, I, I get, you know, I get emails from, from Terry Adams with, you know, Hey, check this out. Check That's this sick. tune out. Yeah. You know, I get, you know, all the time. That's amazing. You know? And, uh, so I get, so, so I get to gain from the, you know, I get to benefit from their knowledge, you know? And, yeah. uh, so, so in turn, you know, uh, a lot of the music that, uh, that I make is about kind of honoring people, you yeah. know? Honoring Chris, honoring Terry and NRBQ, and and even in the Flat Five, you know, I mean, that's how I think about it. You know, even when it's like, you know, it's you know Casey singing, you know, look at the birdie. You know, Casey's a beautiful guy. You know, he's just a great soul, great person, and and you know something about Casey singing that song. You know, it's like just the sweetest moment, and it's just about honoring his personality and his soul. You know, and. So that's kind of what the, I've just recently come to realize that's kind of what all this stuff is about. That's a beautiful way to look at it. Cause like, I'm thinking just with the flat five, right? So you got all Mm -hmm. these people from their own projects doing their own thing, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's not like a, to get together and write isn't like a usually accessible thing unless everyone's got time. And like maybe now with the pandemic that, (laughs) you know, that's more of a opportunity but the mm-hmm. fact that you have a writer and you can share it with them and use this, this especially it's someone you trust and who trusts you. Yeah. Like, there's this already honored, honoring um, thing from the rip and then like yeah. bestow it upon other people and see it. And the fact that the whole record's an honor, uh, like a homage to your mother and like it's, I, yeah. I think that just resonates full it, uh, fully through it. And like, Well, that's, that's great to hear. I, I hope so, you know, and, um, uh, you know, it's definitely, uh, 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 like I said, it's, it's, it's family music. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. I've always been envious of that. Um, my family doesn't really play. My brother started with the guitar. He left it around. I picked it up, but, um, right. and uh, my grandpa dabbles with the accordion, but never enough to like play. Sometimes right. the cousins get together at reunions and we get to play and like, but not yeah. like to the level where we're doing harmonies and stuff. That's some. Well, I think it. it's well. I think it's interesting too that people become musicians in spite of their surroundings. Yeah, like I find that interesting because that's not my story, you know. Yeah, it's almost not surprising with your family that you're like, oh yeah, and you know. I've all I've said that a million times. I've said it is like not at all special that I ended up being <laughs> a musician. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. totally natural. It's, I sh- you know, it would have been more surprising if I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, like like you're saying with your like, so it it is interesting and like. Um, I don't know, especially someone who had to really fight for it, which wasn't necessarily my case. I didn't really have to fight 
mm-hmm. to do it. I had a good support team until uh, still do have a good support team. Yeah. Um, and just fall into every avenue. And like right now I'm kind of, uh, my main gig because there's not too much gig gigs is I teach. Yeah. I'm a music teacher at a, a charter school for kids with oh, autism. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Which I love and it's been that's a blast. interesting. And that's kind of to some degree why I'm doing this talking to you in a mm-hmm. weird way. Like, um, I also work at a nonprofit art gallery that I was booking all the shows for and started to do a mm-hmm. podcast to promote their stuff. And, um, then I started I pulling stuff from those interviews, like little bits of knowledge and putting them in my online lessons. Right. And that's then, and I just kind of started reaching out to people and lo and behold, here we are. But, um, that's great, man. Yeah, so, I, that's, that's really cool. And, uh, so where are you? I'm in Ohio. I'm in, I'm Cleveland. Okay, great. Yeah, I love yeah. Cleveland. Yeah. Do you guys tour here often? Uh, yeah. You know, NRBQ, you, you know, uh, play uh was it is it the beachland oh, okay called? yeah my band we just did a so we've had two gigs this whole shutdown we uh, play mm-hmm. i play in a band called c level letter c dash uh-huh. and i did learn there's an sea level years into it so i've had your jam sitch like yeah <laughs> like, gosh it luckily uh, for you it was earlier in your career um but uh we just did a benefit show at the grog shop in the beachland and we sold out both nights and everything was That's to keep, great. The, keep the places going right yeah and, uh, right God, you guys would kill the beachland so i can see you guys being a perfect fit there i um, like playing there i like that room and i like that uh, there's a record store right right there and, yeah and there's a coffee place right down the street real good coffee place what's yeah, the name the of six that? shooter yeah yeah they just moved down the street to the opposite side but yeah that's oh, yeah? awesome yeah yeah man i hope they're i hope they're uh, you're hanging in there man yeah you gotta Man, I I worry about the coffee places during this time. I know, you know, you got to sell a lot of shots of espresso to <laughs> you know to pay your rent. Yeah, you do. And like when you're competing with like chains like Starbucks and stuff, like I'm a coffee guy. Yeah, like, yeah, me too. So uh, like I'm a that's kind of my uh, my go to. I don't drink, I don't smoke, but I'll get caffeinated. And, yeah, um, <laughs> like. Uh, all these little ones I've been going to extra, like maybe go there twice a day just to like make sure yeah. they're still open. <laughs> right. Wow. But uh, how old are you? Do you mind me asking? I'm Thirty. Okay. 30 as yeah. of this year. Yeah. Uh, so, so how many of these are? Do you do how many of these? Uh, hey. A month? Do you do these podcasts? Uh, I try to do one every other week. Um, oh, okay. As of the shutdown, I just really, really picked up with it. And, okay. Um, my friend started. Um, because I was doing it monthly to promote the art gallery and people I would talk to in between. So yeah. we'd have a show, and I would talk to everyone up the week until the show. Yeah. And then um, the shutdown, and my friend started this nonprofit virtual showcase and yeah. shifted gears to promoting her stuff. And right. Like, and then just kind of expanded from there. And, I uh, see. So there was right. a boost of like maybe 30-plus within the time that would have been like 12, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, wow. Uh, well, well, thanks for, you know, thanks for, I, re- I appreciate, uh, uh, how well informed you are. Thanks. And, uh, I, yeah, I really, really appreciate that. I really know? enjoyed, um, diving into your career and like in all your work too. Like that's the, for me, the, the talk to people that have done it and find the inspiration, like the inspirato, the inspiration mm-hmm. that, 
everyone's got it and everyone's career and path is different. So everyone's got Mm -hmm. these nuggets to learn from. And I just, I love doing this. So I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out and chat with me for like this hour. Yeah, it was great, man. It was great. Real relaxed and fun. I appreciate it. Well, thanks, man. Well, thank you. Well, we'll wrap it with that and take it out with another tune. Here we go with uh, one more from the flat five off another world. This is, um, this will be the day.